So there's a situation I occasionally find myself in that you might relate to, and that situation is falling down the rabbit hole of watching pet videos on YouTube. So people record videos of their pets doing funny or cute things, and they upload those videos to YouTube, and then there are hundreds or thousands of hours of those videos on YouTube. And you start watching one, and then you watch another one and another one, and eventually you realize that it's been like five hours, and you've just spent the last several hours watching pet videos. So there was one I saw recently where uh, it's of a dog, and the owner is filming it on their cell phone, and the owner walks into the kitchen, and the kitchen garbage can has been tipped over, and the garbage has been strewn all over the kitchen. And also in the kitchen is the dog, who is trying very, very hard not to look at any of the garbage, and very hard not to look at the owner. And I think it's pretty clear what happened. And so the owner calls the dog's name, and the dog slowly turns its head to look at the owner, but as soon as it makes eye contact, it looks away because it doesn't want to, it doesn't want to see what it's done. It doesn't want to, you know, it's funny, right? Because the dog is acting like a human would act. It's acting like it knows that it's guilty. And usually we expect dogs to be kind of oblivious. They do something wrong and then they just kind of look happy and you have to scold them and teach them what they've done is wrong. But this dog seems to have a deeper knowledge of what it's done and it seems to feel guilty and maybe even a little ashamed. Maybe I'm projecting. I don't know. But it is very relatable for us because when we feel guilty, we often also don't want to face what we've done and we don't want to face the people that we've hurt. And if we're Christians, when we've done something wrong, often we don't want to face God either. And so we take our feelings of guilt and we push them down inside and pretend that we don't feel the way that we do. And then those feelings, they boil and they fester and they turn into shame. And if we let them go on, we can even start to hate ourselves. And so when we feel guilty and we don't know how to handle those feelings, it can lead us to some pretty dark places. And so that's why today I want to look at Psalm 51. This summer we're doing a series on the Psalms, specifically the Lament Psalms. Uh, In our culture today, we are not very good at dealing with or processing negative emotions because we live in a culture that is very emotionally closed off, and we never learn how to deal with the way that we feel. And so we need the Lament Psalms today. They help us express and process the emotions that all of us feel, but none of us talk about because we don't have the words to express them. And so when you feel angry or abused or abandoned, The Lament Psalms are there to help you work through the way that you feel. Before we dive into the psalm itself, I want to take a look at the header of the psalm. Over the past few weeks, Rob and I have talked a lot about the importance of the headers for the psalms. So most of the time when you are reading your Bible and you come across a section header or a title for a story, that's been added by the editors of whatever translation you are reading. But with the psalms, the headers are original to the text, and they're very important because they tell you what kind of psalm you're about to read. So the header for Psalm 51 is this, for the director of music, a psalm of David, when the prophet Nathan came to him after David had committed adultery with Bathsheba. So most psalms are not very specific about when or why they were written. A lot of the psalms are anonymous, but even for the psalms that are not anonymous, uh, we don't know when in the person's life they were written. But this psalm refers to a very particular point in David's life. Uh, David uh, sleeps with Bathsheba when she was married to someone else and then gets her pregnant, and he's caught in this situation. And Bathsheba's husband is Uriah, who is one of David's soldiers fighting on the front line. He's actually someone who is loyal to David, and David has betrayed a friend. And so David arranges to have Uriah killed in battle so he can quickly marry Bathsheba and make the child seem legitimate. 
And David almost gets away with it until the prophet Nathan confronts him with a message from God. And David realizes the gravity of what he's done, and he turns back to God in repentance. And that is the context for this psalm. It's a psalm that was written by a man who had every reason to feel guilty, right? Our feelings of guilt aren't always unwarranted. Often they're not unwarranted. Sometimes we have real reasons to feel the way that we do. But if we don't know how to handle those feelings of guilt, we're only going to make the situation worse, not better. So let's take a look at the psalm itself. The first few verses of the psalm function like an introduction. They're a summary of what the psalm is going to be about. And so David writes, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love and according to your great compassion. Blot out my transgressions, wash away my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. So David has come before God to ask for forgiveness, for God to cleanse him of his sin and the guilt that he feels. David knows that he can ask for this because he knows that God is loving and merciful. And in fact, these opening verses echo the famous description of God from Exodus 34. The Lord, the Lord, compassionate and merciful God, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. And if those words sound familiar, it's because we sang a song that is very similar to this, that is intentionally echoing this passage. And so over the past few weeks, we've talked a lot about how what we feel and what we know or what's true don't always line up. And so often when we feel guilty, we don't want to acknowledge what we've done because we're afraid that we'll be judged by other people or by God. And we're afraid that if we confess what we've done, we'll be rejected and abandoned. And so that's what we feel. But David knows that God is forgiving, and he knows his scriptures. He knows that God says over and over and over that he wants to forgive us when we go astray. God doesn't expect us never to mess up. As broken people, it's inevitable that we will make mistakes. What God expects of us is to turn back to him when we mess up. David is called the man after God's own heart in the Old Testament, not because he never makes mistakes. We're talking about a very big mistake today. But because... David doesn't let his feelings of guilt get between him and God. He always turns back and restores his relationship with God by asking for forgiveness. And that's what makes him the man after God's own heart. And so as long as we are willing to ask for forgiveness, God is willing to forgive us and take us back. With the introduction out of the way, David then backs up to describe the feelings that brought him to where he is now, brought him before God. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Some translations put this verse, my sins confront me all day long. David couldn't escape the feelings of guilt that were weighing him down. And rightfully so, right? No matter what, no matter where he went or what he did, he was constantly reminded of what he had done. And so for those of us who are familiar with feelings of guilt, which I'm sure is most or all of us, we've all done something wrong in our lives, uh, we know how heavy those feelings of guilt can be. And if you carry those feelings around for long enough, and if we don't address them, they can turn into shame and self-loathing. And so if we don't address our guilt, we can end up in some pretty dark places. Often we try to address our guilt by making excuses for ourselves to justify why we did what we did, to convince ourselves that we don't need to feel guilty. And sometimes that does seem to work at first, uh, but often as time goes on, it doesn't prove too much of a solution because the feelings of guilt continue to bubble below the surface. And also making excuses doesn't deal with the fact of what we've done. If we actually have a reason to feel guilty, it doesn't restore our relationships and in fact probably breaks them further to make those excuses. 
And so David doesn't try to make excuses. Instead, he faces what he did. And so, against you, only you I have sinned, writes David, and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. And we might read that and think that David is shortchanging Uriah and Bathsheba here, right? So he doesn't mention either of them. He doesn't mention that he essentially forced himself upon Bathsheba. She has no agency in the story if you read it in Second Samuel. And he technically didn't hold the knife when he killed Uriah, but he is no less responsible for Uriah's death. So why doesn't he mention them? But the truth is that when we hurt other people, we are also sinning against God, right? So God tells us, to love our neighbors. And so when we fail to love our neighbors, we are breaking one of God's commandments. But on a deeper level, the Bible teaches that every human being is made in the image of God. And everyone is a representation of God on earth. And so when we fail to love and respect God's images with the respect that is worthy of God, we are also failing to love and respect God. And so when we hurt the people around us, we need to make amends with them, but we also need to make amends with God. And that is what David is doing here. Rather than try to make excuses, David owns up to what he has done. He says God's verdict is right and his judgment is justified. And I'm sure that was very hard for him to do. Facing our guilt can be painful. It hurts for us to acknowledge that maybe we actually do have a reason to feel the way that we do. But we can't process our emotions and move forward with the healing process if we're not willing to name and face the source of those emotions. We can't properly deal with our feelings of guilt without dealing with the guilt itself. But our feelings often go deeper than just guilt. And so as David writes, surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. And David moves here from addressing his guilt to addressing his shame. Guilt is feeling bad because of what we've done. And if we know how to deal with that emotion properly, it can actually be a very constructive emotion. It can help us to move forward and to address what we've done and to make things right. But shame is deeper. Shame is feeling bad about who we are. If guilt is, I've done something bad, shame is, I am bad as a person. And it's true that we are broken people, of course, and we sin, and there are often deeper causes for our sin at work. And facing those deeper causes is an important part of the healing process. But shame is a problem because it fails to recognize that we are also God's masterpieces made in his image. And so we are not fundamentally bad. We are fundamentally good, but broken. And so shame drives us to cut ourselves off and isolate ourselves. We're afraid that we'll be judged for who we are, not just for what we've done. And that hurts a lot more than being judged for what we've done. And it cuts to the core of our being. And so we feel that because of our deep brokenness, God and other people won't want anything to do with us. But the truth is that God accepts us in spite of our brokenness. And he actually wants to fix our deep brokenness. He wants to bring, he wants us to bring our shame before him so that he can heal it. And so David writes, yet you desire faithfulness even in the inmost being. You teach me wisdom in that secret place. When we bring our brokenness and our shame before God, God works at healing our brokenness and transforms our hearts. He teaches us wisdom, as David puts it. And because of Jesus' death on the cross, it is possible for our brokenness to be healed. And through the work of the Holy Spirit, we can be transformed into something new. If we've tried to bury our guilt and it has turned into shame, we don't need to hide that feeling from God. And if we're willing to bring our shame and our brokenness before God, he will begin the work of healing us 
and making us new. And so now that David has named both his guilt and his shame, and he has faced the reason that he feels guilty, he asks God to take away his guilt. Clean me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be wetter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. And so David knows that he can't fix his feelings of guilt on his own because he can't fix his guilt on his own. And if he wants to restore his relationship with God, he needs to ask God for forgiveness because a relationship takes two people. And so when we have hurt other people or when we have sinned against God, it's hard to ask for forgiveness. And we're often afraid that the other person or, or the God won't forgive us. And the risk of being told we're not forgiven seems worse than just living in the uncertainty. It's easier to just leave things the way they are and not address them. But David knows there is joy and gladness in a restored relationship. And in forgiveness, there is rejoicing. And so even in the short term, it is hard to ask for forgiveness. It's better in the long term. And David does that hard work. It's an important part of the healing process. And that applies to our relationship with God and our relationships with other people. When we wrong other people, we need to ask them for forgiveness too. And David then also asks God to heal his shame and his deep brokenness. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. David addresses his shame and his fear of rejection when he asks God not to cast him out or to take the Holy Spirit away from him. David needs to be in God's presence and needs the Holy Spirit working within him if his deep brokenness is going to be healed. That inner transformation is important when we bring our guilt before God. If we allow God to cleanse our guilt but don't allow him to heal our shame, then our deeper emotional problem still exists. We're still going to be carrying that heavy burden of shame, and it will continue to get in the way of our relationship with God and with other people. And if we don't allow God to heal our deep brokenness, we're going to end up committing the same sins again and again and again and feeling guilty about them again and again and again. And so letting God see the parts of ourselves that we're most ashamed of and letting him work on those parts is hard. It hurts to be vulnerable. But it's a necessary step on the path to healing and wholeness. Then the psalm takes a turn that we might not expect. Then I will teach transgressors your ways so that sinners will turn back to you. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God, you who are my Savior. And my tongue will sing of your righteousness. Open my lips, Lord, and my mouth will declare your praise. And so the psalm seems to suggest here that David will take his confession public and he will use his confession to teach others. David will sing about God's incredible grace and use the story of his sin to teach other sinners how to turn back to God. And in fact, that's what we are reading right now. In the header of this psalm, it says it was for the worship director, the person who would have directed the music in the temple. And so this psalm, this prayer that we are reading right now, was written not only for David's benefit, but for the benefit of the community. As Christians, we often feel shame in part because all the other Christians around us seem to be doing a much better job of being a Christian than we are. Right? And so when we come to church or when we interact with other Christians, we often put on a mask to hide our guilt and our shame. But the truth is that we all actually do that. None of us are unique in that respect. And because we all do that, we don't realize that we are all broken people and that we're not alone in our shame and our brokenness. 
The Apostle James wrote in a letter to the early church, and in that letter he says a lot of things, but one of the things that he says is this, Therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. And so our feelings of guilt and shame aren't meant to be worked through alone. God brings us together into a Christian community like this one so that we can help each other find forgiveness and healing. And so I think if we could just be more open and honest about our guilt and our shame, we could all help each other find healing and wholeness. David then ends his psalm with this conclusion. Do not delight in sacrifice or I would bring it. Do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. God, you will not despise. May it please you to prosper Zion, to build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will delight in the sacrifices of the righteous, in burnt offerings offered whole, and then bulls will be offered on your altar. So it may seem a little strange to have the statements, uh, you do not take pleasure in burnt offerings, and then you will delight in sacrifices so close to each other. They're almost side by side. But the key to understanding this is in the middle, that God does not despise a broken and contrite heart. And so in the Old Testament, God didn't ask for sacrifices for the sake of sacrifices. It's not that he thirsts for blood or anything. God asks for sacrifices as a symbol of a person's repentance. God delights in the sacrifices of the righteous because the righteous bring sacrifices as a symbol of their broken and contrite heart. And so if we're willing to face our feelings of guilt and shame and bring them to God in repentance, we can have confidence that God will forgive us and heal us because we know that God does not despise a broken and contrite heart. God is slow to anger and abounding in love. So that's Psalm 51, but before I finish today, I want to go a little bit beyond the ending of this psalm. Right, This psalm was written at a very particular point in David's life, but David's life continues on past the end of the psalm, and the story of the Bible continues on past that. And so the child that David fathered with Bathsheba when the psalm was written uh, did not survive. It died of an illness. But David would go on to have another child with Bathsheba, and that child was named Solomon. And Solomon would go on to succeed King David as king of Israel. And then it is through Solomon's line and Solomon's descendants that we get to Jesus. And so because David was willing to face his guilt and his shame and bring them to God in repentance, because he was the man after God's own heart, David was able to turn, God was able to turn David's story of murder and infidelity into a story of forgiveness and salvation and grace. And so when we bring our sins and our feelings of guilt to God and allow him to heal our deep brokenness, he can turn our stories around and amazing things can happen. And so if you are feeling guilty or ashamed about what you've done or who you are, you can bring those feelings to God and you can know that he will forgive you because he is slow to anger and abounding in love. And if we're willing to let God heal our deep brokenness and our shame, God can use us to accomplish amazing things. And if we could just be more open and honest with each other as a community about our guilt and our shame, we can learn from each other and help each other find healing and wholeness. Let's pray now. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for your compassion and your mercy and abounding love. Thank you that you are a God who takes us back no matter how many times we go astray. Lord, we come before you today as a people carrying the weight of guilt and shame. And for many of us, we've been carrying these burdens for a long time. Lord, we want to ask you for your forgiveness. 
We're sorry for the things that we have done, and we're ready to start following you fresh. And Lord, we ask that you heal our shame and our deep brokenness. Lord, we know that unless we let you transform us, we will end up right back where we started. Lord, we pray the prayer of David, do not take your spirit from us, but instead let your spirit work in us. And Lord, give us the courage to make amends with those that we have hurt. Lord, we know we need to ask for your forgiveness, but to be truly whole, we also need to ask for the forgiveness of the people that we have wronged as well. Lord, asking for forgiveness is scary, but we ask that you give us the courage to do it anyway. Thank you for transforming and healing us. Thank you for the work of your Son and your Spirit in our lives. Because of you, we are made new. We pray all of these things in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, through the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. If you're sticking around after the service, I would love for you to join us for coffee. It's just behind us in the gym. As you go into this week, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit and the love of God be with you all forevermore. Amen.